Thank you for listening to the Calvary Church Podcast. If this ministry has been a blessing to you, would you let us know? Send an email to toledocalvary.org. We would love to hear what God is doing in your life today. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 1. While you're turning there, crazy week weather-wise, um, I was listening to a guy from the south who was talking about how he had to travel to the north this week, middle of this week. And he said that somebody said to him, well, they say it's cold up there. You might want to take a jacket. <laughs> a jacket. <laughs> he said, I don't need a jacket. I got a couple of hoodies, right? That's what he said. And then he got here and was just kind of talking and complaining about, it's cold, it's so cold, you know, it's so cold, this kind of thing. Have you ever been someplace and you realize I don't have what I need to be here? Anybody? <laughs> Like, I don't have the resource, I don't have the strength, I don't have the ability, I don't have what I think it's going to take for me to handle this time, this place, this situation, this season that I'm in. I wish I had this. The Bible tells us about a young man named Timothy, who the Apostle Paul led his family, we believe, to Christ on one of his missionary journeys. His mother became a person of faith. His grandmother was a person of faith, and he, he followed them in that. Later, Paul went back to that same city where he had led his family to Christ and saw that this young man, Timothy, was not only growing up in his faith, but there was something special about him. There was a, there was a gift that he had. And we read about this several chapters ago in the book of Acts, and at some point, Paul looks at him and says, Timbo, because that's what he called him, he says, Timbo, I want you to come with me like, there's a gift that you have. There's something unique about you. I, I want you to come and I want you to join the team that I'm leading that's going and starting churches. And so Timothy traveled with Paul in one of the most significant churches. I, I happen to personally think it was, it was Paul's favorite church was the church in Ephesus, which is the church we've been talking about. We've been looking at what Paul says to the Ephesians about the Holy Spirit in this series that we're calling Essentials because the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives, it's not optional, it's essential. And so Paul goes to this church in, in Ephesus. He starts the church that's there. He spends more time there than any other church. He's there for three years. He has this special relationship with them. When we get to Acts chapter 20 here in a couple of weeks, um, we'll, we'll look at just how special that relationship was he had with the leaders there and the people there in that church in Ephesus. And when Paul was no longer there, guess who becomes the pastor of the church that Paul loved? It's this guy, Timothy. And so on two occasions, Paul writes a letter to Timothy that we have in our Bible where he talks to him basically about how to be a pastor, how to lead. And in that first letter, it's, it's very clear that he's encouraging this young man to be a leader and lead this church. The, the second letter takes on a little bit of a different tone. Second Timothy, most scholars believe, was the last letter that Paul wrote. At the very end of his life, as he's sitting in a prison in Rome, he writes this very uh, personal, very vulnerable letter to Timothy, who he referred to as a son in the faith. Like he had a relationship with Timothy that was so unique and special. And he talks to him in this letter about how he honestly believes that his life is coming to an end. He can, he can see the finish line in the race that he has run of the faith to serve Jesus Christ. And as he's writing to Timothy, one of the things that he writes to Timothy about, in both First and Second Timothy, he writes to him about the fact that you will face challenges. Look, God's called you to something great, but it's not gonna be easy. 
There will be times and moments where it's going to be difficult for you to make it through. It's going to be difficult for you to navigate this. You're going to have to, to do things that will not come easy. And in the midst of that, Paul reminds Timothy of the heritage that he comes from, the, the faith that he has. And then he says to him, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 6, for this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. There are times I think in the church where we start to use some like terms or phrases or words that we use a lot, but we don't always define. In fact, we, we use certain, certain titles or, or descriptions, and we might not even fully understand what they mean. One of those things that, and if you've been around the church for any season of time, one of those things that we talk about is sometimes we talk about the gifts of the Spirit, or we talk about spiritual gifts. These are things that God gives to his people. This is what Paul is writing to Timothy about here. He's saying, Timothy, God has given you a gift that he wants you to use to serve him. To, to allow him to be at work in your life. And what's key for us to grasp at the very beginning of this today is he's not just talking to Timothy here. I think he's talking to me. And I think he's talking to you. And he's saying, God has given you a gift. I believe this, the Holy Spirit gifts every believer to accomplish God's purposes. The Holy Spirit gifts every believer to accomplish God's purpose for your life. God has a plan and a purpose for your life. You were, you were created with a reason. You are his masterpiece, and he has designed good things for you to do long before you were ever born. And he will give you a gift to do that. He will equip you to do that. He will give to every believer, remember that, every believer, what they need to accomplish God's purpose. Now, I love the language, and here's, here's what I wanna do. Just take these kind of couple of verses here that we've looked at and kind of unpack them a little bit. I love the language here. He says to Timothy, Timothy, I, I want you to, to fan into flame. I want you to take that gift you have and don't let those embers grow cold. I want you to fan it into flame so that it burns brightly for God. Now, that, that's an interesting phrase to you there. You ever sat around a bonfire and you realize that it, it's gonna die if you don't do something with it? You know what I'm talking about? Like you either gotta put some more fuel on there or make those s'mores fast. Can I get an Amen. Right, it's one or the other. And sometimes when the, when the fire's struggling, you have to, you ever, you ever seen the picture of the Boy Scout or the Royal Ranger that kind of gets down on their knees and has to blow in there to give some life to that flame? Or you take something and you fan it so that that flame comes back? I don't think Paul is correcting Timothy here. I, I don't think he's saying, hey, Timbo, you kind of let your light go out. No, he's saying, Timothy, this will be a constant process of you recognizing God's gift in your life. and You keep stirring it up. Like you keep fanning that thing into flame. You keep trusting God by his Holy Spirit to be at work in your life because God has gifted to every believer what they need to accomplish God's purpose for their life. Look, I, I know a lot of people who when we talk about this subject of spiritual gifts, that God has given you a, a gift by his Holy Spirit, some way he wants to work and, and be at, 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 at his purpose in your life, you're quick to go, oh, I don't know what that gift is, or I'm not sure that I can use it, or I, I'm kind of new at this, or oh, other people have other gifts, and we talk ourselves out of it. 
And look, on, on Wednesday night, we'll, we'll, in, our, in our first Wednesday, we're going to get more into kind of some specifics of what the gifts are and how they're at work in our lives and, and all that, that detail, a little bit more on a, on a more practical level. But I want you to understand this. I know people who put themselves on the sidelines because they go, well, I don't know what my gift is or I don't know how to operate in that gift. Let me encourage you. Don't look for the gift you wonder about and start using the gift you know about. Like, don't look for this gift going, well, maybe God will give me a gift, or maybe God will help me with this. Don't, don't just sit there and wonder about what gift God has for you. He has put you in positions, and he has equipped you in certain ways. Start using the gifts that you have. Don't, don't make it more difficult. Stop wondering about the gifts that you might have and start using the ones that you do have. Does that make sense? Like, to work in that way. So then you ask the question, well, how has God gifted me? Paul says, Timothy, I want you to fan into flame the gift that God has given to you. The Bible speaks about these, these gifts of the Spirit. In, in one of the classic passages, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul says this, now to each one, don't miss this, 1 Corinthians 12, 7, now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. God has given a gift to every one of us. He will equip you. He will empower you. He will gift you to do what he's called you to do. And I'm convinced of this. God never gives us a calling without gifting us for that calling. God's not going to give you a calling and then go, surprise, all you've got is a couple of hoodies. He's not going to do that. God's not going to give you a calling and then not equip you for that calling. He's going to give you what you need. And whatever season you're in, we'll break this down a little bit here as we go through this today. Whatever season you're in, God will equip you for that by his gifts. One of the things that's interesting is God, um, in the word, there's, there's these different lists of the spiritual gifts. Paul mentions them. He's the one that gives us three kind of classic passages in the New Testament, three different books about what these spiritual gifts are. And sometimes we can be really quick, especially if you've been in the church world, to kind of really limit these are what the spiritual gifts are. And we just have these lists. And we let the lists either intimidate us or confine us or restrict us in a certain way. Apparently, Paul didn't feel this way. Because if you think about this, there's three different times that Paul gives lists of gifts of the Spirit. And all three of them are different lists. Because his point is, I'm going to say to this church that there are gifts that they need in this season. And I'm gonna say to this church, there are gifts that they need in this season. And I'm gonna say to this church, hey, let me help you correct you about uh, uh, some of the things that you're not thinking right about these gifts. And Paul's saying, look, there are gifts that God gives. He doesn't give us an exhaustive list. He said, these are the only 24 gifts of the Spirit. What he says is, these are ways in which the Spirit might be at work in your life and in your congregation, and we need to be open to these things. So, so what I wanna do is I wanna take a, a look real quick at these three passages that Paul gives to us so that we'll have some ideas about what these different gifts are. What we like to do sometimes is whenever we have like a list, we like to put it in categories so that we can understand it better, don't we? We like to group things and give them titles so we can put handles on them and we're, we're gonna call these these gifts and these these gifts and if we can get them all to start with the same letter of the alphabet, then we know it's anointed, right? That's the way it works. Look, we're going to look at these three, these three lists, and I'm, I'm going to put them in a category because that's, that's just kind of what we do to help us to understand it. And yet I think God defies categories, right? He works beyond that. The first list we're going to look at today is in Ephesians chapter 4. This is relevant, of course, because we're talking about Paul's writings to the church in Ephesus. And he says this, so Christ himself 
gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers, to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So so when Paul wrote to the church in Corinth, he wanted them to know about these five gifts, uh, prophet, apostle, evangelist, pastor, teacher. And and let's just, for, for the sake of categorizing things a little bit today so that we can understand them a little bit better, let's call them ministry gifts. And the Holy Spirit gives ministry gifts for the equipping of the church. The Holy Spirit gives ministry gifts for the equipping of the church. He he gives some individuals to come alongside and have a a role in the church and even outside of the church to equip the church so that they can grow and become mature and be raised up through, through these gifts. A second list that Paul gives to us is in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And this is one, especially if you come from a a Pentecostal or a charismatic background like I do, this is the list that oftentimes when we think of spiritual gifts, this is the only one that we think of. And we think, well, these are the gifts of the Spirit at work. And we'll talk about this a little bit more in, uh, in our service on Wednesday night. But 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 8 says, To one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom, to another a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by that one Spirit, to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and to still another the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one in the same spirit as he distributes them to each one just as he determines. When Paul speaks about these gifts, he he at one point uses a word in in 1 Corinthians 12 where he calls them manifestations. So let's call them the manifestation gifts. And the Holy Spirit gives manifestation gifts for the common good. The Holy Spirit gives these gifts to, to build up the church and encourage one another. We'll look in more depth at this list on Wednesday night. But for some of us, and especially if you come from a background where, where this is the, the passage that's emphasized when you talk about spiritual gifts, you can begin to say, well, I, I don't think I'm used in any of those ways because those are all kind of pretty dramatic. I'm not so sure I'm used in any of these ways or even more, I'm not so sure I want to be used in any of those ways. And so we tune out a little bit when people talk about the spiritual gifts. But look at this third passage. Paul uses the same word for gifts here. It's a Greek word, charismata. And he uses this in Romans chapter 12, verse 6. Listen to how practical these gifts are. He says, we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it's serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Those gifts all have to do with the way that you're wired or or what your motivation is. So we talked about ministry gifts and manifestation gifts. Oftentimes, we'll call these the motivation gifts. And the Holy Spirit gives motivation gifts for the effectiveness of the body of Christ. The Holy Spirit gives these motivation gifts for the effectiveness of the body of Christ. Now, look, let, let me encourage you with this. The church needs you to operate in your gifts, to be open and say, Holy Spirit, use me. Holy Spirit, be at work in me. Holy Spirit, I I want to accomplish your purpose for my life because the church is not just one person. It's not just a small group of people. The Bible tells us that we are all the body of Christ, right? Right. 
And so if we all have a gift, we're all to be used in that gift. So please, be open to that. God wants to use your gifts. The church needs you to use those gifts. But let me encourage you with this. Don't think that to use your gifts, it just has to happen at 1360 Conant Street. And that you better use it somewhere between 10 and 1130 on a Sunday morning. The gifts of the Spirit are for every day and not just Sunday. The gifts of the Spirit were designed by the Spirit not just to be used in the church, but I believe they were designed to be used in the marketplace. They were designed to be used in the places where you live and where you work, the people you interact with, that God would use you in the gifts of the Spirit, not just in church on a Sunday, but that you would be open to being used every day. Let me give you an encouragement. Like we, we, Paul talks about this one, the word of wisdom, message of wisdom. And oftentimes, we think that that has to happen somehow in this room or at least in these walls. When how much incredible, more incredible would it be? How supernatural would it be if at some point during your workday or at some time dealing with the family situation, the Holy Spirit speaks to you and gives you wisdom that's supernatural? You know it's not in your head. You know it's coming from God. You ever had those moments where you're like, oh, I'm not smart enough for that? <laughs> that's the Holy Spirit. And if you've ever not had one of those moments where you've thought, I'm not smart enough for that, then we, we, there's a message on humility I need you to hear. But there's this, there's this point where the Holy Spirit empowers you and gives you wisdom. It's great if it happens in church, but how cool is that if it happens in your workplace? What if God were to stir something in your heart to respond towards a coworker or a family member, supernaturally empowering you to show them mercy? You know, oftentimes when we speak about the gift of healing, we think about that happening at an altar or when we pray with people in the Connection Center. But what if the person that sits next to you at work or what if your neighbor begins to talk to you about what's physically going on in their body and you feel the Holy Spirit, you sense in your heart the Holy Spirit saying, why don't you pray for them? You don't have to say, why don't you come to church so that the anointed hand of the man of God may be laid upon you. That was a joke, okay? Like that's, you can pray for them. And it's a powerful thing. There are people in your world who are going through a tough time and they might not have the faith to make it through that time. But God may supernaturally equip you with faith to come alongside of them and speak a word of faith to them and pray a prayer of faith with them. How powerful it is when you pray and then you see God answer on someone else's behalf. So don't think that those gifts just have to happen here on a Sunday morning. God uses those gifts every day in our lives. We'll, we'll, we'll dig into this a little bit more on Wednesday. Here's, here's what I wanna do for the rest of our time today. I wanna show you four characteristics of work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. That when the Holy Spirit is at work in our lives, Paul gives to us these four characteristics. He says, Timothy, fan into flame the gift that God has given to you because the spirit he's given to you is not a spirit of timidity, but it is a spirit of power and of love and of self-discipline. So we're gonna kind of break down those four characteristics here today and talk about what it's like when the Holy Spirit is by his giftedness to us at work in our lives. And before we get to that, one, one thing that I think is important to note, because for some of us, you've already maybe got to a point in your mind where you've, where you've checked out, which is even a little earlier than most Sundays. Maybe you've already begun to like check out a little bit or you've started to think, well, I don't, I don't know that this matters for me because I'm sure God's given me a spiritual gift, but it's just one of those, he's just given me one of those little gifts, not one of the important ones. Like sometimes we start to think that the, the guy on the platform or the person that's doing something publicly, that their spiritual gift is somehow greater 
or, or more fantastic or more important or more spiritual than the one that I have. Like, I, I wrestle with that. Like, I see certain people in ministry, and I'm like, man, I wish I was gifted in that way. I wish my ministry could be as important as somebody else's. Does that make sense? Have you ever had those thoughts? Where you start to kind of go, well, yeah, I have a gift, but my gift's not as important as that person's. I remember when I was a kid's pastor, I was trying to teach this and kind of communicate it, and this, this, is, this is the thought that kind of came to me. Anybody ever been to the dollar store? You ever been to the dollar store? If you want to mess with the employees at the dollar store, keep asking them how much something is. Because when you go to the dollar store, everything in the dollar store costs $1. That's the beauty of it. You walk in and it's like, well, that's a dollar, that's a dollar, that's a dollar. You don't have to ask how much it is. That's why it's funny. You don't have to ask. It's just everything, there's a dollar. And especially when I was a kid's pastor, I used to go in there a lot because you could get like cheap stuff for prizes or object lessons or all this kind of stuff. So I'd love to go in the dollar store and you just walk down those aisles and it's got all kinds of stuff in there. And I would walk up to things and I'd be like, I have looked for this my entire life. This is awesome. I wonder how much it is. It is $1. And then you move down a little bit and you're like, well, that's a piece of junk. Who would want that thing? Wonder how much it is. It is. And it ain't worth a dollar, right? You have those thoughts. Because based on the season of life that you're in or the things that you need, you walk down those aisles and you look and some things seem to have great value to you and some things seem to be trash, but no matter what you think about it, the guy that owns the store, the person that's gonna check you out at the, at the cash register, they know that everything that you bring up there has the same value of $1. Look, there's this tendency that we have to look at other people's gifts and either say, oh, well, their gift is so much greater than mine or to look at somebody else and go, I'm glad that's not my gift. I'm glad I have an important gift. And when you look at God, God looks at me and you and you and you and you, and he says, they're gifts. You know how much they're worth? One dollar. <laughs> like they're all the same. They all have the same value. To him, he doesn't look at your gift and then look at your gift and go, well, their gift's better than their gift and none of them compare to his gift. Like, he doesn't think that way. God says, look, I have gifted every one of you and every one of you has a gift that is of great value to me. Here's the good news. Didn't cost him a dollar. It cost him his life. So he greatly treasures the fact that he gave his life so that you could be in right relationship with God and that when you're in right relationship, then he can impart his gifts to you and he gives that priceless gift to you so that no matter what he's called you to do, he gives those gifts so that you can accomplish his purpose. And no gift is worth more than another. The only time a gift loses its value is when you choose not to use it. So let me talk to you about four characteristics of the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. When he gifts us, and this is what Paul says to Timothy, the first thing is this, number one, it's not timid. He has not given to us a spirit of timidity. There, there's other Bible versions that kind of say this a little bit differently. I actually like the way that the, the English Standard Version says it. It says in, in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, for God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Sometimes when we face the challenges that we face in life, or sometimes when we think about being used of God, it can stir up some fear or, or some timidity or some anxiety in us. And that's not what comes from the Holy Spirit. Paul says, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17, now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory 
are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. See, when the Spirit of the Lord comes, we, we don't have fear, we have freedom. And that freedom allows us to be open to what he may want to do in our lives. So when it's time for you to step out, when it's time for you to do what God's called you to do, know this, that he brings the Holy Spirit who doesn't bring us fear, who doesn't bring us timidity. Maybe the best way to say it is he brings us courage in those moments to do what God's called us to do. You know the interesting thing about courage? Many times you don't have courage until you use courage. Right, it's easy for you to think, well, I can be courageous, courageous, or maybe I can do this. But typically, courage doesn't come to me until I take a step where I need courage. Like, like let's imagine this. Like, if you were to close your eyes with me and picture a sunny day where it's 85 in Toledo. Can I get an amen? And you go to the pool. You're sitting in your lounge chair. And you say to yourself, I'm going to jump off the high dive. I'm going to climb that thing, and I'm going to go up there, and I am going to do a beautiful Olympic dive that will impress and wow everyone here at the pool. You can sit in your chair all day and think that. <laughs> that doesn't take any courage. You don't need courage when you're on the ground. You know when you need courage? When your feet hit the first rung of that ladder, and then you start climbing it, and you get up to the top, and the truth is, if you don't need courage in that moment, you need your head examined, right? Because there's a point. But I didn't need courage sitting in the chair. When I needed courage was when I actually took a step to do something courageous. And the reality is, you may have to use courage to have courage. And for a lot of us, we won't take that first step. We won't say, God, will you use me? Holy Spirit, will you, will you do your work through me? And at some point, it means you have to be willing to get in the pool, and do something about it. Now look, some of us are dive-in people. Some of us, as soon as we get to the pool, first thing we do, cannonball, right? That's us. Others of us, we're not divers, we're waders. You know those people who are like, okay, well, there's one toes wet, and now another toes wet, right? There's some of us that that's, that's our process. I don't care which one you are, just get wet. Just get in the pool. Just say, God, I'm willing and I'm open to be used by you. And look, it takes time. It won't be perfect right away. You have to grow in these gifts. Like, you know it's Super Bowl Sunday, right? Yeah, you've heard that, okay. How many of you are cheering for the Patriots tonight? Anybody? Yeah, that's what I was afraid of. How many of you, how many of you are Rams fans today for the day? <laughs> Hallelujah. How many of you, how many of you just don't care? Yes. How many of you are just looking forward to what's going in your mouth at 6.30? Anybody? Man, I have a hope and a future. Can I get an amen, right? That's all I'm, that's all I'm focused on. Here's the interesting part. The, the, the guys that are playing in this game tonight, this is not their first game. Right, this is not the first time that they've played football. Odds are they played in some peewee league and then in junior high and high school. They played in college. And this isn't their first game in the NFL. They've been playing, and, and for many of them, they, they've been playing for years. They've been through a whole season and then the playoffs to get to this game. You, you, you dream of being in the Super Bowl, but you don't start there. And sometimes I gauge my effectiveness in being used by God by watching other people in the Super Bowl when I'm still in high school. Does that make sense? And I shouldn't measure myself in that way. It takes me a while to be effective and to be 
comfortable in the gifts that God has given to me. So just get in the pool and say, God, I'm going to move forward with courage. I'm going to trust you in faith because you have not given me a spirit of timidity. Why can you have that courage? Well, the first thing we talk about is God's spirit is not timid. The second thing, God's spirit comes to you with power. Number two, he comes to you with power. And when we talk about power, power is the enablement to do what God has called us to do. And look, for some of you, you're in a season where God has put you in the workplace, in your family, whatever it is, and God has allowed you to be in this season, and you're like, God, I need your strength. Others of you look at where you're at, and you're like, God, there's a huge opportunity ahead for me. I'm excited of what's in front of me, but I know I can't do it on my own. Power is the enablement to do what God has called us to do. Not just in the church, it's in that difficult workplace situation. It's in that parenting challenge that you're facing in this season. It's in times of illness or transition. And wherever it is that you are, God will give you the power that you need. My dad was one of these guys who could, could fix anything. He could build anything. He, he could just, he could make stuff. He was, he was incredibly gifted with his hands. He had been a master plasterer in his youth. He, he just, that was, that was just who he was. And so there was this place kind of about 10 minutes from my house where we grew up. It was a hardware store called Morgan's. Anytime my dad needed something, if he needed supplies, if he needed tools, you know, he'd, he'd hop in the truck and go to Morgan's and get what he needed. And sometimes he'd say, hey, Chad, you want to come with me? Well, as a kid, I was like, yeah, that's awesome. I get to spend time with my dad. I get to go do man stuff. Like, this is, this is cool. So we'd go to Morgan's, and after about five minutes, I'd be thoroughly bored because <laughs> my dad only needed one thing, but he wasn't sure what else he might need, so we had to walk down every aisle. And he would look at all these tools, and he'd stop, and he'd check things out, and that's new, and I probably should have one of these. And he'd, just, he'd go up and down the aisles looking at all this stuff, and I would be so bored. Like, why does this take forever? I thought you only needed one thing. How much longer are we going to be? Anybody ever heard those things? Right? I can remember those days. My dad died in 1996. And when he died, I inherited most of his tools. I have in my garage this, this metal tool cabinet that, that he had. And every so often, the, the Bob Gilligan gene flares up in me that it's time for me to fix something. In the last service, I heard people go, oh. And I got offended. I'm not praying for that service this week. Maybe next week, but not, not this week. <laughs> no, no, no. Praying for you people. But. So this is, uh, and, and I'll start like working on something, right? And I do just fine, thank you very much, because I'm not timid. I have courage. And so I'm working on this, and I'll get to a point where I was like, ah, oh, you know what would make this so much easier? Is if I had this tool, and then it hits me. I wonder if there's one of those in that cabinet. And I'll go out in the garage, and I'm telling you, nine times out of 10, when I've needed something, I've opened those drawers, and it was there. Even in those times when I was dead weight to my dad, and he's dragging me through Morgan's hardware, he was buying tools then. He didn't know it. I didn't know it that would equip me for later in my life. Isn't it cool that in these times when I've needed something special, my father had already given me exactly what I needed? You see the analogy here, right? that you go through certain times and seasons in your life, even times and seasons where you don't even want to be there, and you find out afterwards, oh, God was getting me ready. He was equipping me. He was preparing me. He was making sure I would have just the tool that I needed for that moment in my life. 
And so know this, when you come up to those challenges, when you face those situations, you don't have a spirit of fear. You have a spirit of power because the Holy Spirit has promised to equip you with exactly what you need. God will equip you to do what God has called you to do. And he'll give you what you need. We, we read this verse over and over again, and we often read it in the context of the day of Pentecost, but it's so true every day of the week, Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. I'm going to give you power to be my witness because that's what I've called you to do. Your heavenly Father has given you the Holy Spirit to give you the power and the tools that you need to accomplish what he's called you to do. So Timothy, you take that gift and you fan it into flame. And you, you know this, that the spirit is not timid. He gives you a spirit of power. And the third thing is of love. Number three, characteristic of the Holy Spirit's work is love. We don't need to spend a lot of time here because I think it's clear from scripture that love is the motive behind all of the gifts given by the spirit. Love is the motive behind all of the gifts that are given by the Spirit. Here's what Paul says about this, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse one. He says, if I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but have not love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I'm nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. I don't mean this to sound critical, but I've known some people in my life who have been extremely gifted, incredibly talented, even supernaturally empowered by the Holy Spirit. But because their main motive was pride or status or selfishness, all those gifts just felt empty when they used them because they lack love. Love is the motive behind the gifts that the Spirit gives. And you say, Chad, how do I know if I'm operating in love? And I say, I'm glad you asked. Because in Paul's first letter, in, in 1 Timothy, when he's writing to Timothy, he's telling him, Timbo, you're gonna have some challenges. And when you do, let me encourage you with this. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5. He says, the goal of this command that I'm giving you is love, which comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. I started out the year in my own personal Bible reading, reading 1 Timothy. And I've not been able to shake that verse since then. Because the Holy Spirit keeps kind of challenging me and saying, Chad, are you operating in love? Do, do you have a, a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith? How do I know? Maybe, maybe I need to ask some questions. Maybe you need to ask some questions. When he talks about a pure heart, the, the question is, is your heart right? Like, are your motives right? Are, are they pure? Is your heart right as you're living with and, and towards others? Do you have a good conscience? Not just is your heart right, but are your actions right? Like, like when you put your head down on the pillow at night and you think back on the day, how do you feel about the things that you said and the things that you did? Not that everybody liked them, not that it was easy, but do you have a good conscience to know that what you did was motivated by love? Is, is your heart right? Are your actions right? And he says we're to have a sincere faith. Is your belief right? Like are you putting your trust in God and in Jesus Christ? 
Because if, if there's any of those places where you go, no, maybe my heart's not right. Mm, I don't feel real good about how I did that. Mm, I probably didn't trust God there. Then maybe it's time to go, Holy Spirit, I need you to be at work in my life even more. I need you to bring that love into my life and that, and that help into my life. Because the spirit he's given us is not timid. It's a spirit of power and of love. And here's the last one, number four characteristic that we're looking at. It's a spirit of self-discipline. Spirit of self-discipline. I've tried to figure this one out because power and love we get right away. The self-discipline one, in fact, this is the only place in the New Testament where that word is actually used. Some Bible versions will translate it self-discipline. Some say self-control. Some actually say a sound mind. The reason is because that particular Greek word has this wide range of meaning. It has behind it a meaning of self-control, the ability to control your, yourself, with that, there's these moments where we, we deal with temptation and we deal with our choices and the Holy Spirit comes and helps us to navigate those things. It also has behind it this idea of a sound mind or maybe you'd say level-headedness, that when you find yourself in a place of challenge or conflict or difficulty, there's a peace that comes. There, there is a sound mind. There is a self-discipline. There is a level-headedness that comes in those times. Have you ever had a moment that you look back and go, I'm surprised I handled that that well? Anybody? J no? <laughs> okay, we're going to pray right now and uh, <laughs> lay hands on the person next to you. Right, there's these times. If you're in a situation and you go, man, I'm surprised I would have responded to that differently in the past or I would have expected something different. That's the Holy Spirit coming alongside and helping us. This one's interesting because if you've been, if you're like me, right, and you've been around the church for a long time, you, you might be comfortable with your spiritual gifts or you might be comfortable allowing the Holy Spirit to use you. Timid? Nah, I'm comfortable with this. Power? I know God equips me. Love? Do my best. This self-discipline one is, is interesting though because what can happen is the more I'm familiar with something, the more lazy or sloppy I can be with it as well. The last eight years have been a little bit interesting at our house because we've, we've kind of up until the last year or so been consistently training someone how to drive in our home, right? Which will, which will stretch your faith, right? Anybody been there? Right, it's this interesting thing. And what's interesting is when I'm in the passenger seat and one of our kids is behind the steering wheel, what do I want them to be? Very disciplined. I want you to think about everything that you're doing and I want you to do everything right and there's expectations and you need to be very disciplined and don't you even look at that radio and I will throw your phone out the window, right? It's all those things, you know, in that moment. Why well, I want you to be disciplined. So, and our kids have done great. Good drivers, I mean, it's all great. Here's the interesting part. In me asking them to be disciplined, it's forced me to see how undisciplined a driver I've become. Anybody? <laughs> right? I see all the sloppy habits I have as a driver, especially between here and my house. Because I've driven that hundreds of times. And there's times when I've thought and even times when I've looked at them and said, don't do that. It's okay if I do it. Don't you ever do that. <laughs> because I want them to be disciplined. And it's new to them. But because it's not new to me anymore, I'm not as disciplined as I used to be. And let's just be honest. It's not a good thing. I need to be more disciplined. Not just in my driving, but in my living Self-discipline, self-control, a sound mind, where I say consistently, Holy Spirit, I need your help. See, the reality is I'm used by the Spirit as I yield to the Spirit. And that's where it happens. 
My grandma used to live next door to us when I was a kid, and when you'd walk in her front door, right, right by the front door, she had this massive pump organ. Now, you might not be familiar, especially if you're, you're younger, you might not be familiar with this idea. We have keyboards that you just plug into an outlet and you plug into a speaker and they just play. What my grandma had was this pump organ, and the idea was this. You'd have to sit on the, on the bench, and then you'd put your feet on these pedals, and you would push them in and out, and they would create the airflow, and then when you would play it, the airflow was what caused the sound to come out of the pipes, and it would make the noise of the organ. Do you know what I'm talking about? Anybody, anybody familiar with these? My grandma had one. I wish I knew what happened. I don't know what happened to it. It was, it was beautiful, this, this classic antique. So my grandma had one of these. Well, that's the same concept behind like the pipe organs that you would see in, in cathedrals and old churches. They have these massive pipes that before you had electric motors in these things, there would be someone who would be the organist, but someone was behind the scenes running the bellows right, that would have to pump this thing so that when the organist played the notes, then the wind would carry those notes from those bellows out through the pipes, and that's what would fill the cathedral. Well, hundreds of years ago, in in an ancient cathedral that that had a beautiful pipe organ, before the days of an electric motor, there was this well-known organist who played a concert. And behind the scenes, kind of behind a little curtain that was right there behind where he was playing, that they would have somebody who would have to run the bellows, who would have to pump the thing so the sound would come out. And there was a little boy who was back there. And this organist played a, an incredible concert. Like, it was amazing. And everybody that was there was just so stunned by how great it was. And they all congratulated him. And he loved it. He loved the applause. He loved the adulation. And all these people were coming, telling him what a great job it was. And at the end, the little boy walked up to him. And the little boy said, we did pretty well, don't you think? And the organist looked at him and said, what did you do? And kind of turned and walked away. A month later, there was another concert. I'll tell the story. (laughs) Settle down, settle down. And there was a point at which the, the organist needed everything that it got. And he was trying to build it with emotion, and it was power, and it was volume, and it was massive. And he noticed there was not as much sound coming out of the organ in that moment. And in the moment, the little boy pulled the curtain back. He looked at the organist and said, how we doing? (laughs) And the organist realized, as good as he was, he needed that wind to make it happen. One of the main analogies that the scripture uses for the idea of the spirit. In fact, the the Old Testament word has inherent in it is the idea that the spirit is like wind that blows on us, but even more that blows through us. And if we'll be open to allow the wind of the spirit, the gifts of the spirit to be at work in our lives, realize no matter how good you are, you're not doing it. And you you have to fan into flame that gift that God's given to you. And when you do, he gives it to you, not with timidity, but with power and with love and with self-discipline so that he can accomplish his purposes for your life. So I don't know if you've ever had this experience, but this has been the message that I've been working on actually for the last two weeks. And I've had like, you ever hear people talk about writer's block? Like I've had like this creative struggle with this one, how to communicate it, what to say. It just some, Sometimes the messages come easy and sometimes they don't, and this one didn't. And I was just kind of going about my day yesterday, and you just, 
I don't know if you've ever done anything like this, but it's like constantly kind of on your mind and just kind of thinking about it as I'm going about my day. And I just found myself just in a, in, a, in a quick moment, not in a negative way, but just kind of thinking about it. And I was just like, Lord, I'm not real excited to preach this sermon. And that's when I felt the Holy Spirit just kind of say, huh, Chad, that's funny, because I am. Because if you love someone, you give them gifts. And the reason you give them gifts is so they have everything that they need. You say, I, I bet they'd like that. I bet they could use that. I bet that would help them. And so if you love them, especially if you're a loving father, you give them those gifts. And the Lord said, I'm, I'm just excited because I've got gifts to give to my people. And so I'm gonna ask you just to bow your heads and close your eyes for a moment. And whether you're in this room or whether you're in auditorium two or you're watching this on a screen somewhere, would you just take a moment and with an openness of heart be willing to fan into flame the gift that the Holy Spirit has for you? Because it's a gift he wants to give to you. And I wanna kind of pray through those four things again. And if you're in a place, in a season, in a challenge where you would say, God, I need that in my life. Holy Spirit, if that's the spirit you bring, then bring it. Then I'll ask you just to respond by lifting a hand or maybe lifting both hands to the Lord. But if, if you're in a place where you would say, God, if your spirit comes and it's not timid, then I need courage where I am right now. If that's you, would you just raise your hand? God, I need courage where I am right now. Lord, would you be the one that brings us courage? Lord, your word says over and over again, that you call us to be strong and courageous. So Holy Spirit, would you come and give us the courage? Would you give us the faith that we need? Some of you are in a place right now in this season where you say, God, I need your gift to come and give me power to accomplish what you've called me to do. I need those tools. I need those resources. If that's you, just raise your hand. God, I need your power in my life right now. Father, we know that we look to you, that it's not our own strength, that it's your strength. So would you give us the power and the tools? Heavenly Father, you've already been at work in our lives equipping us. Would you give us the, that power? Maybe when I ran through those questions about our hearts and about our actions and, and about our faith, and there was a point where you said, ah, something's just not right right now, and I, I need, Holy Spirit, you to help me to love. If that's you, just raise your hand. Spirit, if you come with love, would you help me to love in this situation? Would you help me to love these people that are difficult to love? God, would you help me to respond with a motive that's pure and a, and a conscience that's good and a, and a faith that's sincere? And maybe you look at that issue of self-discipline and you would say, Spirit, I've allowed my life to get spiritually sloppy or I'm reminded that I'm nothing unless your wind blows through me. If that's you, would you just raise a hand? Lord, would you help us to have a sound mind? Would you help us to be disciplined and trust in you and look to you? Father, may we leave here and go through this week knowing that you want to come alongside of us and equip us to do what we've, you've called us to do. So, so help us, Lord, to fan into flame that gift so that as your spirit comes, not with the spirit of timidity, but with power and love and self-discipline, that we would be open and ready to be used by you. Now, Lord, as we go from here, we ask that you would go with us. Would you send us out with your special favor and with your wonderful peace? We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, God bless you. Thanks for being here. Have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday.